This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. My name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. Thierry or Thierry Bourdais. I hope I've said it all fancy and correctly. Thank you for joining me in the trenches. <laughs> did, did I get it right? Absolutely, yes. Yes. You know, you know, I'm I'm a bit embarrassed because here in South Africa uh, we speak Afrikaans, which is quite close to Dutch. So I should actually be getting your name more correct. But Afrikaans doesn't have a, f a silent T. No, that's right. My name is actually French, so um, uh, even for Dutch people, it's sometimes difficult to pronounce. So you're all excused. <laughs> oh, so your name is French? How did yes, that come I about? Come from a, from a, I come from a French uh, family. Originally. Oh, okay. Now that explains why your name does sound French. Yes, yes. <laughs> so you see, we are we're solving mysteries together, you and I. <laughs> Tommy, how is the information war treating you? Uh, that's a very nice um, opening question, actually. <laughs> uh, what I find, and this is very interesting um, in in my lifetime, it has been interesting to me uh, that the. Um, the the current the, the the current information position of most people in the west today is such that they they cannot possibly accept the possibility of different perspectives anymore mm. so we've seen this very clearly i think with covid for the past two years and now with the situation in ukraine um, and also with several other issues like climate change and so on there seems to be this, this attitude that there is only one legitimate position and that everybody who has a different view is spreading misinformation. So the, the information war, as I, I love the opening question, really seems to be about giving people the sense that there is only, there is only one point of view left. And that's very dangerous for a democracy. Well, before we talk about about those dangers. Um, for those who don't know, uh, who are you? Uh, I'm uh, Thierry Baudet. That's the <laughs> proper pronunciation. <laughs> <of my name. laughs> but you may say uh, whatever you like. I'm, uh, I'm a Dutch parliamentarian, a member of parliament. I'm the founder and leader of a political party in the Netherlands, which is called Forum for Democracy. And we were I set this up in, in 2012, 2016, uh, 2015, 2016, um, because I wanted to introduce Swiss-style referendums in the Netherlands and to give more direct democracy uh, a voice in our country. And uh, our, our, our political party is currently the largest party in terms of members, so we have the largest membership, um, and we are represented in all representative uh, institutions on all levels, so the municipal level, the provincial level, the national level, and also in the European Parliament, so we are a bit all over the place. And we consider ourselves to be a political party 2.0 because we're not simply interested in the bureaucratic processes within the political system, but we also like to go out there and be active in the media. We have our own uh, podcast channel. Um, I make a documentary series, which is called The Movement, where mm. I speak in English about my ideas. Uh, we have uh, we're we're publishing books. We we organize conferences in the Netherlands, but also internationally all the time. We publish 
um, magazines and stuff and, and so on. So we we're 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 seeing ourselves as part of a pillar in a way, or creators mm-hmm. of a pillar of a, of of all kinds of societal institutions we're also setting up schools we're having our our first schools uh, opening in uh, in september so we're doing a lot of things and uh, that's what i find inspiring because the, the 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 movement that we that we're building the forum for democracy movement is not simply about changing this or that regulation in the country it's not merely political in the strict sense of the word but it's also a cultural movement. It's a movement for, uh, as we call it, a, a European renaissance, a, a reawakening of a certain cultural and spiritual um, way of way of life and, and living and feeling. And so we, we need to be active within the cultural domain as much as in the political domain. You were referring to the Swiss style um, elections or democracy. What do you mean by that? Well, um, so there's a there's a short and a long answer to this. The short answer is that um, in Switzerland there is um, the possibility for citizens to have referendums about basically anything, and that means that there is a very direct relationship between the, the the rules that people live under and their debates about those rules, and they have a, a, a true sense of influence uh, to, mm-hmm. they actually have the possibility to say no to certain developments to initiate different trends and so on so that's a that's the short answer it's at the political level it's a much better system than the representative system that we have in in the netherlands and i'm sure in most other democracies in the world where you elect once every four years some guy or woman and mm-hmm. then they will do whatever they please and then they'll spend a lot of money during their re-election campaign and um, um, it's it's a very indirect way the representative system is a very indirect way of 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 um, influencing through the democratic process the course of events so we wanted to make that more direct and inspired by the swiss system but there's a deeper point about this too a longer answer which is that direct democracy is um uh, and, and Alexis de Tocqueville, one of my inspirators, a French philosopher, wrote about this, is, is also a way to give people a sense of community and a sense of mm. purpose, which is increasingly lacking in a technocratic, centralized, globalized world. So it reaffirms the community. And that is that's a very important element in, in direct democracy. I think it's interesting because what you what you're talking about seems to resonate across the world, particularly in the last two years or so. A lot of people seem to be getting the same idea, um, which seems to be the silver lining of this whole narrative that uh, that we have been um, exposed to. Um, and which narrative are you referring to in the, particular? The, well, the COVID. Yes, narrative. right. I, I mm. thought you meant that. Yeah, yeah. Um, So on the one hand, that is, uh, I agree with that. On the other hand, uh, what I miss in almost every country now, as far as I witness it, is the existence of real opposition. And I think Forum for Democracy is very special, 
not just in the Netherlands, we're the only party who speak out against the measures and the lockdowns and the, the, the globalist takeover, basically, of the World Health Organization and so on. But it's not just in the Netherlands, but nowhere else do I see political movements voicing this. Even Trump has been proponing, uh, has been a fierce proponent of the of the vaccines that we all yeah. know now don't work, are dangerous, mm -hmm. are pointless when it comes to COVID. Um, and so it's it's very odd that we are opening the, this interview with information warfare. And I, I really think that um, we are unique now in the world as a, as a movement, the Forum for Democracy. So yes, there is a global trend of people trying to reaffirm their communities and referendums and so on. On the other hand, I, I think we're one of the only ones who are really different from everybody else. One of the reasons why you and I are chatting is because I saw a wonderful video of yours um, from your from your series that you do. Uh, you were, I think it's called What's Wrong with the West? And in it, um, you you highlighted what you called three mega trends. Yes. What are those three? So, um, uh, uh, yes, I, I have a series. There are more um, uh, episodes uh, coming up. Uh, I've been writing down more or less my outlook, and I thought I'd do it in English, and I make it like nice mini documentaries. And one is what's what's wrong with the West, and I identify, as you say, three mega trends that we see across across all Western countries since at least the fall of the Berlin Wall. So for the past, give or take, 30 years, we've seen across the board mass migration movements, open borders, uh, massive immigration, a changing of the social uh, cohesion within the host countries. Secondly, um, transnational legislation uh, in the form of the European Union, for example, but also the World Health Organization, um, World Trade Organization, the, the Davos group that is currently yeah. actually together in, in Switzerland uh, with the World Economic Forum. So we see a, a globalization on the one hand. We see um, multi-ethnicization, multiculturalization. And the third one is the a push for climate change measures uh, uh, from the Kyoto uh, agreements to the Paris Treaty the, across the board all Western countries are increasingly obsessed with the the idea that man has a tremendous impact on the global climate and that we reduce carbon dioxide emissions and so on so these are the three um, elements that I think define mainstream politics mm. in all mm. Western countries. And the interesting thing is, or the worrying thing is, that these positions or these these general trends are supported by both the, the, the left yes. and the right. So there is, you can say there is a debate within a paradigm, which is the paradigm of those megatrends. So the, the right would say, we, we, we don't want unskilled immigration, and the left will say uh, we have to help uh, the uh, poor people in Africa, for example. But ultimately, they'll all agree that we are nations in permanent transit and that we're all migrants anyway. And that uh, we that there's no point really in defending your national identity and so on. And, and the same is true for, for example, the EU or other transnational international legislation. Basically, all mainstream parties 
support that. There, there are very, very few who, who will say, we just want to be sovereign country again. We, we, we don't accept international law. We don't accept supranational regulations. And thirdly, there is, there's absolutely no one in the mainstream who dares speak out against the climate mystique. They all mm. go along with this. They all say, well, and some will say, oh, look, let's, let's go for nuclear. And then the other will say, no, we, we're going to, 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 to construct uh, more solar panels. What, you know, th 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 those are the debates. But, they're no, but no one really is saying, look, the whole, the, the whole story that this is based on is, is, uh, is based on, very, well, yeah, or, or at least very dubious assumptions. It, and and uh, there's, there's so many very good questions to ask. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, th 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 that's really the paradigm of the post-Cold War era, in my view. Let's unpack some of those megatrends just a little bit. And I mean, I agree with you. So you, you're, you're preaching to the converted. But if we're talking about um, immigration, I read a, a book a few years ago by Douglas Murray called uh, The Strange Death of Europe, in which he, he analyzes uh, mass immigration and how it's essentially, A, it's replacing um, original uh, peoples of those regions, and B, it's doing exactly what you say. It creates this sense of fluidity uh, and that there's no sense of, of um, grounding. There's no foundation. Yes, correct. So it's a, there's a there's a very strong uh, mythology underlying both the migration movement, the pro-migration ideology, and the uh, supranational ideology. It's it's one worldism essentially, mm. and then and that's where the climate change mystique comes in because that legitimizes, and this is super important, it legitimizes total control by the government over every aspect of people's lives because there is literally there is no activity on this planet by life forms which does not mm. have an impact on carbon dioxide emission because uh, this conversation as i breathe i emit carbon dioxide there's a plant here which breathes in carbon dioxide and exhales oxygen it's the cycle of life so once you 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 define that as an an area that needs to be legislated and that must be legislated and we have to do this globally and so on you're basically legitimizing globalist forces institutions whatever to regulate every tiny aspect of our lives and so the the three megatrends in my view form together in their in their in their um yeah, togetherness, they form the perfect uh, alibi for totalitarian control. Because what, what's yeah. happening is you dilute national populations to, to an extent that there's no, no way to say we the Dutch anymore, or we the, we the French, or we, we the, the, um, uh, the Afrikaners. Well, it's mm. a very, very, very telling example in your country. I mean, the, they're, they're our brothers and sisters from the past, from the Netherlands, but they are completely marginalized now. The, the, the original white population in Africa, but but yeah. but then you have this, this this centralized governing institution which can't be 
pulled back by any democratic activity anymore because it's so far away. I mean, who's going to replace or vote against or in favor of European commissioners or the, the head of the World Health Organization and so on? Nobody can really reach them through democratic process. And then they have a, an alibi to, to, to create laws that influence the tiniest aspects of our lives because of carbon dioxide. So this, I think, the three are to, get, are to be understood together in what is a monstrous and totalitarian agenda held by the, uh, the, the, the most powerful people in the world to build a, a really a dystopian future that, that I think we, sh we should oppose with every means that we have. I remember a few years ago, my wife and I were in um, France and I remember saying to that, you know, when you're in Paris, um, it's so multicultural that I couldn't tell you what a normal French person is supposed to look like. And I remember talking to 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 somebody there, and he said, "You know, I you know, I feel like I need to move to Argentina because I'm I'm losing my identity." Yes, yeah, that 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 is happening, uh, and uh, perhaps people are seeking refuge in in new kinds of identities which is now the the wokeness for example mm. or or lifestyles so we are um i don't know we're um we're skaters or we are uh, uh supporters of a certain football club or yeah. uh, you know may, maybe those things are sort of quasi or we're all trans transvestites here mm. she males that's uh, that's our identity but but it's it's a very sad thing we we witness the destruction of of the of great peoples and uh, with great histories great nations and i think yeah sorry no yeah. don't go on i i, well, I interrupted you the, the sad thing is that, we, that there doesn't seem to be uh, a, a very strong sense of wanting to survive within the native original european population so they they continue to and this is also part of the information warfare of course but they continue to vote for precisely those politicians who Yes. who impose this on them and who take away from them their homes, their 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 affordable houses, their prosperous economy. Um, and that's also why I, I'm such a proponent of direct democracy, because I, th yes. I, I think we, we, have, we have seen proof in the past 30 years that representative democracy does not work because poll after poll shows that a vast majority of people do not want mass immigration. And yet they vote for parties that that support mass immigration. So, so there's something is is not going right in this process. So we need to correct it. How do you solve that problem of mass immigration? Well, you solve it uh, by stopping those people to come in and 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 setting up remigration programs. Do you think there's a globalist attempt to perhaps remove white people? Yes. Yeah, I think uh, I think that it's certainly there is certainly a global conspiracy to mm. uh, destroy European nations. Um, and there certainly is anti-white racism in the in uh, in the world. Uh, it, that, that is that is very obvious to me. Uh, you know, black lives matter is a great thing apparently but white lives matter would be a terrible racist thing so there's a yeah. there's a very very obvious disparity here there's a, yes. 
an imbalance in the discussion where every ethnic group in the world is uh, allowed to have their ethnic uh, you know, identity, group identity, but whites are not. Mm. And uh, that's that's very um, interesting um, and very uh, worrying because the, mm, the, the policies that we're seeing are... Uh, I, I don't know if they're if if at the level of Davos they are aware of these things because they themselves are also part of the taboo sphere and and mm. the, the, I, I wouldn't think they're great philosophers right? but they're more they're more like the um, the, exec, the executive branch of of this conspiracy so I'm not sure to what extent they're actually thinking about all these processes but it's certainly it's an element in the in the in the emotional uh landscape of 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 these trends and of these movements that this is something that is absolutely uh not not to be talked about not to be thought about yeah. not, uh the the um uh the the, the dream of a post ethnic or multi ethnic multicultural Society is so strong, or that that no concerns about this shall be voiced. And yes. it's it's always it's always dangerous to have taboos. It's always dangerous to not think about certain things because you know you have some associations with these questions from the past or whatever. Um, I'm I'm a, a free speech uh, absolutist, and I think especially things that people might not agree with have to be heard and have to be discussed. Have you ever asked Siri if Black Lives Matter? Do you have a, do you have an iPhone? Uh, yes, I, I have an iPhone. Have you have you have you ever asked her this? Because I have an iPhone, yeah, and I could quickly I'll quickly ask her. Have you have you heard her answer? No, no. Listen to this. Hey Siri, do Black Lives Matter? Oh no, hold on, yes. she. Black lives matter. Okay, so that's her answer. Yes, black lives matter. But now, listen to this. Hey Siri, do all lives matter? I appreciate your interest in politics, but it's not a part of my programming. This is a good conversation <laughs> to have with a fellow human. Uh, yes, well, that's <laughs> remarkable. <huh? laughs> and I'm sure it's the same on your iPhone. Yes, yeah, yeah, I... Um... I'm, I'm sure this is part of the, but that that's that shows the disparity of the of the whole discussion. Yes, and um, yeah, I think it's uh, it's very sad that is happening. I I don't think we we're going to be able to reverse it. I think mm. we're already too late. Uh, but I find consolation in speaking the truth and in meeting like-minded people, and I think it's important to build our parallel institutions yes and uh, I, I would like to stress because this is always something that people then jump on because they're so obsessed with this question of race and so on i would like to stress again that uh i do, i do not think that um people who come from different corners of the world could not become great europeans and great members of our society uh but um 
there certainly is a, a tremendous problem with the mass immigration that we've seen and and uh, and that is continuing to this day so mm. uh, and and it's not just that uh, it's also the, the, the it's also the economy that is uh, ve- we, we have an economy in Europe that is or at least in the Netherlands that is built on a welfare system and welfare systems and mass immigration are incompatible mm. completely incompatible so there are countries also like perhaps the United States where this problem is slightly smaller because you have a smaller welfare system but I mean still ultimately the mass immigration there as well was is very undermining for the social fabric well the the common denominator in your megatrends is essentially Marxism and, and it, it's about the welfare state and it's about making everybody equally poor um, down yes. the line um, yes yeah, I, I think that so the point I make in the um, in the movement um, series that you're talking about, you're referring to. So the, the three megatrends uh, are, in my view, essentially Marxist. Mm. So we are living yeah. the, the, the paradox is that after the fall of the Berlin Wall, everybody thought Marxism had been beaten. But in essence, we mm. are living in the in an alienated world or an increasingly alienated world where through the climate change story, which is a, a, has been described like a watermelon, it's green from the outer, but it's red on the inside, is essentially a socialist big government story administered globally. Uh, this is ultimate, this is almost a, a, a Marxist utopia that we're heading. Mm. And, uh, that's, uh, that's terrible. We've seen that before in the past. The second mega trend that you are referring to, um, is uh, the sort of global governance structures like the United Nations, the World Economic Forum, the WHO. I mean, we have now seen how dangerous that is and has been in the last two and a bit years. The WHO and the World Economic Forum have almost single-handedly changed the entire course of our future. Uh, well, that's that. why the, the course of the future, can you explain? Well, in the sense that they've now made millions and millions and millions of people used to the idea of wearing a mask, used to the idea of being yeah. locked down, for example. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not sure that's. Yeah, I agree. I agree with with the the, the, the main point that you're making. So the the World Health Organization, Bill Gates, mm. uh, the, the Davos Group, uh, Pfizer, and a few others, they have conspired against free people. Um, they have imposed a dystopian regime on all of us, and it has shown a lot of things. Actually, it has, it, I, and I agree. This this has opened a path to the future, which which is horrific, which is nightmarish, and and it's it's probably the greatest crime ever committed in the history of the world. What what has been done in the past two years? It's of a magnitude that is just it's just in impossible to grasp the number of lives that have been lost through these through these measures um the vaccines that have been imposed on us that are poisonous they're dangerous Mm. you'd absolutely not take them uh the withholding of proper medicines the lockdowns the loneliness the destruction of the economy the breaking up of global supply chains that we now we feel within in our wallets how how much everything is increasing in price. It's a direct consequence of these 
ridiculous mm. measures. But um, uh, what, what I what I think it has also shown, uh, and that's a very worrying thought as well, how little impact national governments actually have. If yeah, if we would not be living in a global conspiracy, then at least one government would have said, you know, no, no, we're going to subscribe hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin. People are going. We're not in, in imposing masks. We're not doing lockdowns. What are we talking about? COVID is like the flu. Come on, people, seriously, mm. let's stop this. Not a single country said this. Not a single one. And that's just if you pause to think about what that means for the world today, that's that that gives me chills. It actually it actually creates a very polarized structure between the global elites and the rest of us. Uh, yes, I agree. It's a it's a very stark uh, class structure. And it's yes. got nothing to do with left and right. It's got everything yes. to do with with sort Beyond of tech, yeah, technocrats and peasants. Yeah, it's the new ancien regime. We're, yes. we're, we're we're returning to the Middle Ages. That that's also the subtitle of my um, uh, my dissertation. I, I I received my PhD in 2012 from the University of Leiden. Uh, my one of my promoters was uh, the late uh, Roger Scruton, philo British philosopher. Uh -huh. uh, was very, I had a very wonderful time working under him and with him. Very inspiring man. Um, and um, the, the the title is the significance of borders, so the importance of nation states, and the return of the Middle Ages, which is precisely what I think is happening if we do not preserve our nation states and our national identities because the, uh if if you don't have nations uh and nation states then what you end up with is globalist governance on the one hand and atomized individuals on the on the other hand and that's precisely where we're heading through the the megatrends that we're talking about so yes it's it's like it's like the ancien regime returning we're all going to be slaves. We're all going to be poor. We're all going, and that, that's going to be the masses of us, six, six and a half billion people. And then you'll have a few who will, um, who will be extremely rich and who will own almost everything. And we'll own nothing and be happy. Yes. And that is the way they think about life, these psychopaths, these people, because they, what they're thinking is the average global IQ is generally going down, obviously, because uh, the, 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 the people lower on the economic ladder will um, statistically get more children. So you and they, and they will also be statistically have lower IQs. So you, you have a, a general decline of the global average IQ on the one hand. And on the other hand, technology, which provides for almost only high IQ jobs. So there's a divide there. But this is, this is an obvious thing, of course, it's true. But uh, because they don't understand that life is not about efficiency and economics, but life is about living a meaningful mm -hmm. life on this earth. So it's not about 
economic forces primarily, but it's about community, essentially. Um, they think that there is a problem within the near future with three to four billion people who will be unemployed, who will not have any economic purpose. Therefore, we have to feed them fabric uh, food. We have to keep them happy with video games and we have to, gov to govern their lives. This is, this is the, the general train of thought of these elites, in my view. And I think it's, it's essentially mistaken about the nature of human happiness and the meaning of our existence. I like what you're it's saying. Like matrix. We're, 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 it's, we're entering a sort of a matrix world where mm. ordinary people are, are living in their cocoon and are administered by artificial intelligence. I love what you're saying about having meaning and purpose. Um, do you think that do you think that a lot of people are waking up to that, or do you think a lot of people are losing that sense of meaning? Yeah, I'm. I'm not. Um, I don't think that we can change this anymore. I think uh, this is this is a, these thoughts are too abstract for most people, mm. and they're also. Uh, I am demonized. My ideas are demonized criminalized or uh, these these things when you say these things you you get a anyone would say them would get so much flack from the media and so on that most people will scare away from it and they'll be like you know voting for the mainstream the, the other mainstream candidate next time and so i i i think the uh the the conspirators have have a, a, a tremendous chance of winning this um and the only and but there i know people who, who think differently who are more optimistic and they say that these conspirators are never going to succeed because they um they neglect the human spirit and the human spirit they say is so strong that ultimately freedom will always prevail and, there, and, and, and no system can be made or no prison can be made strong enough not, to, to break our, our force, our spirit. And uh, yeah, I hope they're right. <laughs> I, I is that, that is that where you lean? Is that the direction that you lean? No, no, I, I'm, I lean towards pessimism. <laughs> <laughs> but i know that there are people who are still optimistic and they'll say that these um the, the, the globalists will lose because you know the, ultimately people cannot be mm. brought into some kind of matrix system like that that I, there are also people um who say that putin is fighting for 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 the human spirit Mm -hmm. um you you certainly are not one of those people i'm just saying that the, the amongst those who are optimistic there are i think there are two categories uh, but i belong to the pessimists in this <laughs> i i think that putin has been um he's he's been given various sort of caricatures in recent years and it's hard to know what is true and what's not true one thing is for certain uh he does care about the sovereignty of his country, but whether or not he, you know, cares about the rest of the world is, is you know, it's under question. I don't know the answer to that. I think he is somewhat of a globalist as well. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm also very skeptical of his intentions mm. and, and and what's happening in in Russia. Uh, the, the only the only reason to be optimistic is that he's vilified to such an extent that you're you're almost going to think like he must be a good guy, you know. <laughs> but if, uh, I, I agree. I'm I'm also I'm not not very. Um, I, I don't don't think that he is. Uh, the liberator in disguise. Mm. I, I don't think that. If Wikipedia uh, uh, paints you as a very bad person, then you kind of want to go, okay, maybe I like that person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the third mega trend you're talking about, and you've, you've spoken about it quite a bit now, is climate change. But climate change is pretty much the big thing. It's everything. Yeah. Everything kind of fits, fits into that category because it's invisible, number one. We, we have no idea if it's true or not, because we wake up every day and the weather changes and we just have to believe what we're told. But the reality, but the reality is that if you believed the media and the government, you would think that the climate only started changing from 1990. Yes, that, that, that is absolutely true. So until 1990, many people that believe there was a completely stable climate for <laughs> millennia <laughs> and, uh, and then all of a sudden it started changing yes it's it's very th these are that's one of the things that this is just a side road but it, i thought it was a point worth making the the, the um, how infantile how childish really these points of view are that, that most people now hold that if you if you give it any serious mm -hmm. questioning any serious thought will it would just make you laugh, but mm. it is what is what is in the media every day. So it's it's very odd. But but yeah, the the um, the the climate is an abstract thing that whether it it becomes a little bit warmer or colder, mm. it, it's always part of climate change, and and it's always something that man is responsible for. And uh, yeah, you to blame, and we're to blame, and mm. uh, and and. and yeah, and the government can step in with regulations. I mean, what's not to like about it for, for, well, for policymakers? They love it. Yeah, that's what I was alluding to earlier when I spoke about you know people getting used to lockdowns. Now, we've heard at Davos, they've been talking about climate lockdowns. Yeah. Um, and people now are used to the idea. So they'll go, oh, well, I'll have to stay home for two weeks so that we can save, we can save planet Earth. Yes. Yeah. And then we're going to have... Um, vegetarian lockdowns or carnivore lockdowns we're not allowed to eat meat for for eat two bugs. weeks yes eat bugs or eat uh, eat uh, herbs uh, <laughs> vegetables uh, this is this is absolutely the direction that we're heading uh, and it gives them total control and um, mm. yeah it's it makes me very sad but one and, of the thing, other sorry, things about climate change that is interesting, there, were, there are lots of interesting things about this, but one other element that is hardly uh, discussed is that climate, the climate, is a, a computer model. The climate. It, it, it's not something that, ex, that exists in, in terms of, I mean, there is a climate, of course, in the colloquial sense of the word, but the global climate, how are you ever going to go about quantifying that? Mm. Where do you measure it? Do you measure the, the temperature at 100 meters from from the from the Earth's surface, or 50 meters, or 200 meters? 
um, how many measuring stations do you have? Do you take into account uh, that cities become larger and more populated, therefore, and people, of course, create uh, warmth? Uh, do you take into account other uh, developments like the clouds that have an impact or El Ninos, all kinds of things that impact this? But nobody realizes that this, we live in such a positivist age that whenever somebody says scientists have agreed that the climate is one degree more than or whatever the average temperature than 50 years ago, then nobody says, hey, look, what, what, what are actually the, the definitions and the assumptions on the basis of which these scientists have come to this conclusion? People just accept it. They're like, oh, the majority of the scientists say it. Therefore, I'll stop thinking. Trust and the science. Trust the science. And that's that's also what happened with COVID, of course. And and in essence, science is a cartel of four mm. or five magazines, peer-reviewed magazines, Nature. Uh, I don't know what, the, what the, the, else they're called. The... the um, um the, the, the anyway uh, medical journals and so on there are, there are a couple of journals and they they just publish the things that their peers uh, support and then they say oh it's established science and it's the most unscientific attitude that one can have and so mm. again we in a sort of inverted reality where and these are people with academic degrees that i had the min dutch uh, minister of foreign affairs in my office the other week and we were talking about that she is a very um, internationally oriented lady her name is Sigrid Kaag uh, K-A-A-G she's also at Davos right now and she uh, used to work for the United Nations and so on and she very much believes in the whole climate thing and so I said I didn't believe any of it and she said but isn't this uh, something that has been proven by scientists but the whole you you can never prove anything mm. scientifically. You can only confirm or um, or falsify assumptions. But there's always a debate. But even the, these people they have no clue of what the scientific method actually means. <laughs> that that strikes me. The same is for journalists and so on. Mm. The, there is no real scientific method that's going on. Uh, well, the the method, I suppose, is the assu assumed causality hmm. between different measurements and carbon dioxide. But I agree with you that the causality, that causality in itself, can only be proven in a laboratory setting, and and there's no way to have a double-blind yes. measurement of of the Earth with and without extra carbon dioxide. That, that's absolutely true. What's also interesting and. I've, uh, I've been accused of ignoring this aspect, so let me just bring it up. You're not talking about ignoring the effects of pollution because nobody likes a dirty environment. Yes. Yeah, that's true. That's, that's important. Uh, people tend to be confused about what mm. carbon dioxide is, and they, they think when you're in Delhi or another big city and, and there, there's also kind of smog, uh, that's climate change thing. But that's... That's a very different thing. Uh, pollution um, exists, has existed since the industrial age and much before that, because before the industrial age, we were we were burning wood, uh, essentially, in a stove at home. And that's very polluting. So uh, it's true there exists pollution. As a matter of fact, 
there's less and less pollution now in Western, in developed societies because because of new technology. Technology uh, and and natural gas, for example, is a, is tr is a tremendous improvement um, compared to the pre-industrial age when we were burning trees in, in our in our houses. So it's uh, but carbon dioxide itself is not a pollutant. Mm. A, it's the it's a, the one of the basic uh, chemical substances that form life on Earth as we know it. Every life, you you breathe it out. Every every animal, including humans, breathe it out when they breathe, and every plant uh, and tree breathes it in. It's part of the the, the normal cycle of life, and it, it's approximately. Uh, um, 400 particles per million atmospheric particles right now. That's what we're talking about. So it's a very, very small part of our total atmosphere. And so there are lots of biologists who say, if you look at plants and trees on Earth, what you see is suffocating life. Yes. Because there hardly is enough carbon dioxide really to sustain green uh, green um, tr <laughs> green things green vegetation uh, and therefore if you look at greenhouses in the Netherlands we have lots of greenhouses because we don't have as much sun as you guys have in South Africa so we have to create greenhouses and farmers there people who work with the plants there they add extra carbon dioxide and they mm. and they they try to get to a level of between 1,200 particles per million and 1,500 particles per million, uh, because that increase greatly increases the growth of plants and trees. And that is also why over the past several decades, the earth has actually become a lot greener. Yes. Because we have a little bit more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And that's why, you know, uh, parts of desert are becoming uh, greener, there are plants uh, growing faster, and crops that are more healthy. So it's it. There, there are lots of scientists who actually say, and and um, the former advisor to President Trump, uh, whose name is, if I'm not mistaken, Harper. Yes, um, William William Harper. Yes, yes, Bill Bill Harper, mm. uh, William Harper. He um, and I had a correspondence with him about this question. And he suggested to me that in, in his view, the actual optimum for the for the planet would be between 1200 and 1500. So what we're trying to get in greenhouses that that's what we actually should have across the globe. That would be that would make the earth much more green and it would be much easier to to have uh, food production in places where it's now difficult and so on. Um, and that and one could add that even if it were true that as a consequence of this, the general uh, temperature on the Earth would become a little bit higher, then it would also be an improvement for mankind and for life. Because uh, if you currently look at the planet, the uninhibitable parts of the planet are, uh, the, the, are the, the colder parts are much more uninhibitable than the warmer parts. So if the equilibrium on the Earth would be a little bit higher, the average, the, 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 the total surface of inhibitable you know, uh, land would increase. 
So, um, uh, yeah, I'm stuttering a little bit with English here because I it's a t it's a bit of a technical thing, maybe. But, yes. And I, no, I'm following. It's an important thing, I think. So, so even if all the hocus pocus were true about the climate, and I don't personally, I don't believe any of it because the climate is such an incredibly complicated uh, mm. resultant of the sun and the clouds and El Ninos and so on. I don't think that carbon dioxide has such an impact on it. But even if it were to have an impact and the average temperature would rise with one degree or two degrees, it would not be a bad thing. It would actually be a good thing for the planet if the general temperature would be a little bit higher. Thierry, are you saying that people would be better off going to the beach? <laughs> yes. Yes, and actually... I must admit that at two points in this interview, I was looking at you and I was thinking, I think it's probably nice weather there now because <laughs> you look like you have been having a tan. Well, been... well it's funny that you say that. My wife uh, jokes, she says I look like a Moroccan or a Pakistani. So I happen to have a slightly <laughs> more olive skin, but I, I tan quite easily. But at the moment, South Africa is entering winter. So I think you're entering okay. summer. Yeah, we are entering summer uh, hopefully it was predicted but uh, because of climate change you can never be sure you know it's well the climate is changing clearly <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um patrick moore who uh, is one of the co-founders of um, of greenpeace uh, he he said to me a while back that earth actually needs more carbon dioxide because if you have more carbon dioxide exactly as you were saying you have more life life flourishes with carbon dioxide so in a in a in a weird paradox paradoxical kind of way globalists and the sort of cabal the the the, the world's elite they don't like that idea so they like the idea of restricting flourishing life on earth does that does that sound right yes um it's um, it rings um uh, suspiciously true mm. uh, in my observation so there are all kinds of things happening that are anti-human anti-life and it's Trans very scary transhuman well tra transhumanism is an example of this mm. but and the, the all of the trans the, the, tr the you know transsexuality is the same thing why would you promote such a, a an anti mental anti-biological thing uh the uh, the promotion of abortion uh across the board um in the netherlands uh, i think uh i think this is true but if it's not um i will let you know and then we can correct it under the video if you like but i'm almost sure that 50 percent of all conceptions in the netherlands 50 percent of them are aborted now 50 percent so half if I'm not mistaken, we have 60,000 conceptions in the Netherlands, approximately, and 30,000 abortions. So that's how, and that's just something that is continued to be promoted across the board with with these people. And then we have the carbon dioxide thing, and the the trend, the technology implanting things and making people therefore half machine, half mm. human. There is an anti-human element in all of this, anti-life element in this. Um, we almost seem to be governed by a death cult. I was just about to say that. It sounds like a death cult, yeah. Uh, and not just a cultural death. The, 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 the cultural death cult is is obvious, isn't it? I've, I've written a book mm. which is called Oikophobia. That's a, uh, a word that I derived from my old mentor, Roger Scruton, uh, which means uh, a fear of 
your home, literally. Oikos is Greek for home. But um, you, you can you can use it in a more general sense, the fear of your own culture, your own identity. Oikophobia is self-hatred, essentially. Uh, it's my thesis, and, and as it was Roger Scruton's, that the West has been suffering from a, uh, a cultural self-hatred that is vehement. And we have in the Netherlands, for example, we have been rewriting our history with as an essence that everything we did was bad and wrong and we have to feel guilty for everything. And we're teaching our children that everything we did in the past was bad and we are afraid to stand up for our own language, our own way of life, our own uh, people, our own ethnicity, as we also discussed earlier during this, this, this interview. Um, but it goes even further now with, uh, I think, with modern architecture, which is also, you can say, anti-human. Yeah. It certainly is anti-home. It is it expresses an alien sense of alienation. And in that sense, it is an expression, in my view, of self-hatred, of the hatred of the, the self in the way that I understand it. Not you, Because you yourself is not an economic factor, but it, it's a sense of community. Myself, when I say I, I mean myself and my meaning in this world, right? Why I'm here, because I'm part of a family, a community, a certain way of life. That is the, the, the greater me, in a way. And modern architecture deliberately destroys that. It destroys the community, it, therefore it destroys the self of the of the society. And and so, yeah, we, we do see this cultural death cult, which is also expressed through mass immigration. You're, you're essentially declaring your nation and your society is at an end and we're going to mm -hmm. replace it, we're going to move to something else. So there really is this sense of the end of civilization, the death of of Europe, of civilization, as Douglas's title, book title is. And then, but then it goes, indeed, it does seem to go further with the, uh, the view also that uh, eating meat is bad, which is an expression, I would say, of the circle of life, which is why I celebrate eating meat. I think it's mm. very important not to dissociate ourselves from the circle of life. I think it's also important to have your own vegetables in your garden and to feel the seasons and all this. This is part, this is life. This is what human life means. And we're, we're transitioning indeed to something else where transhumanism, as you mentioned, is, is an element of uh, and, and all the other things that we mentioned. And yeah, I, I, I think you could call it a death cult. Yeah, and I'll, it's really scary. It's, it's, yes. And you can also tell most of the people that govern us, this is something that a friend brought up to me, most of the prime ministers in Europe today are childless, familyless. Wow. Mark Rutte does not have children. Uh, Boris Johnson has a very well. Uh, he has does have children, but a very um, mm. bohemian, uh, not settled lifestyle. Not a family. Not, not Merkel without children. Macron without children. Matteo Renzi in Italy without children. And, and I believe there were three or four more. And uh, uh, I, I'm not sure what that means, but it does feel like it means something. It does feel. Like too significant to yes to to ignore. What, uh, in your view, then, are some of those 
aspects of being human that are wonderful and worth celebrating? Uh, in my view, the uh, the most important thing that we have, for, well, there are many. Sex is one, of course, and we have we have lost uh, lots uh, uh, an important element of that because on the one hand we have the pornification of sex, and on the other hand we have the uh, prude pr prudification of sex, the prudeness of it. So on the one hand you're not allowed to show a nipple on on television. And on the other hand, people are uh, alone, masturbating, and not mm -hmm. able to to build a relationship. So there's a, there's a diverge there. Uh, the same is true with art. I think um, the great the, the, the greatness of European art has been uh, to create something that is more than just an expression of a particular taste that I have, and then you like something else, but it was an expression of a certain soul, of a certain, certain, uh, a, a shared uh, sense of existence. And that, that is completely gone with the, the end of higher art, music and, and paintings, and all, all has stopped, of course, uh, with abstract art and atonal music that is absolutely nothing anymore. So again, you see that the, the thing that used to to bring us together as a community that has you have on the one hand have you, you have absurd uh atonal music for example on the other one you have popular music which doesn't express anything higher than your jungle rhythms and so on and the same is true with architecture uh the the interesting thing about traditional architecture is that it creates a public shared sphere where you can also be private so i can walk through the city and sit in a in a cafe uh, and be on my own and also in the public sphere that is a there was a greek that's a the heritage of the greek agora where you are in the marketplace you are together with others but you also have the, mo the possibility to to be on your own and now we have it's either completely private in your own your own cell block in your 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 mm. apartment building 25 stores up or you are in a uh, cafe where there's loud music and it's 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 completely crowded or you have to be in your car and drive somewhere because modern cities are not built for the pedestrian but they're built for cars so you see across the board i think that the intermediate sphere of being together but at the same time continuing to exist as an individual is diluted it's 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 disappearing from european life so on the, and on the one hand we again we're alienated, we're all by ourselves, or on the other hand, we are uh, completely public, or complete, uh, things are completely meaningless, or completely global in the governance. So that's that's the divergence that we see across the board. It's become um, too binary. It, 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 yes, the, the, it's polarized in, in, mm. the, in that sense where the meaning of life is lost, because the meaning is the combination of the two. Um, I've kept you slightly longer than you promised, so let me ask you one last question and before i ask you my question i just want to point out that i love i love your ideas and i'm going to invite you back in the near future um particularly particularly these live in south africa i'll try to come over at some point my wife uh, has lived in cape town that's where i live uh yeah oh well then it's easy then well we should we should do this physically together that's also uh, it will be an absolute pleasure. All right. So in front of you, 
there's a crystal ball. What do you see? I see um, our lives becoming more and more regulated. I see our societies diluting more and more through mass immigration. I see um, the vast majority of Europeans forgetting completely who they are, what their history is, what their identity is. I see globalists and billionaires conspiring together to regulate our every aspect of our lives. I see recurring lockdowns for flu-like things, for climate things, for whatever. Um, and so I see the end of human freedom and the end of the end of humanity, basically, the end of civilization, not just that, but the end of human life. Well, on that very uplifting note, where, where can people... Is it what they end? And I see pockets of resistance. <laughs> Small place where people like you and me will come together to grow our own vegetables and try to escape from this. But it will be like the it, it will be like the Matrix movie, like the Nebuchadnezzar, like Neo mm. and whatever Trinity or something their name is, you know, living the very difficult lives as settlers, as trying to get away from the globalist. Uh, where so can people well, well yes where, where can people follow you um, thank you uh, the um, the website chiribode.com is uh, under construction uh, but they can follow me on YouTube I've got a YouTube channel I'm on Instagram it's chiribode again and on Twitter and I'm very open also for email so if people are interested in what i've been doing then they can write me an email which is very easy it's the email address that's public on the website of the parliament of the netherlands which is t my first letter dot baudet my family name at and then it becomes the difficult part tweedekamer.nl and tweedekamer is second chamber but it's t-w-e-e-d-e k-a-m-e-r dot n-l but that's easy to look up so it may not be easy to memorize but it's easy to look up let me try this. Thierry Baudet, thank you so yes. much. For, thank you so much for joining me in the trenches. Thank you, Jeremy. Have a good day. You too. My name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.